Dave from Morris Media Studios on Crenshaw and Lamert Park with veteran radio producer Felicia, the poetess Morris. Welcome to MHD Off the Record, an opportunity to learn more about the people and places of South Los Angeles and how my interest in music, history, and culture and activism influences the way I serve the people of Council District 8. Who you vote for matters, and elected officials who understand the culture of your community are more effective leaders. I'm Marquise Harris-Dawson, and this is MHD Off the Record. Creativity plays such an important role in our community, partly because art is something that doesn't require permission and empowers us to comment on the conditions we see in our society while imagining something different and better. Hip-hop is such a key component of our culture, and long before rappers became the focus, the DJ was the one who moved the crowd. For this episode, I'm joined by Sketch, who goes by Sketch now. Back in the day, he went by DJ Sketch. Uh, but we want to discuss the role of the DJ and how creatives can profit from their cultural capital. Uh, Sketch is an acronym, uh, and uh, I actually never knew that until now. Yeah. Uh, can you we start by you telling us what Sketch stands for? Sketch stands for successfully conquers everything that challenges him. Wow. Which is something that I made up uh, in middle school, ironically, and ties into some of the acronyms that I have even today with music to the ears, music being an acronym, and mm -hmm. Academics Beat Lab with the beat being an acronym. So wow, what is the beat in Academics Beat Lab? It stands for Business, Entertainment, Arts, and Technology. That's totally, that makes yeah. sense. That so makes we're sense. positioning it as like the new STEM for mm -hmm. creatives, where we right. have entertainment arts, and then we bookend it with the business and technology to develop creative entrepreneurs. Well, it's so fascinating, uh, and this isn't how I wanted to start our conversation, but I've long contended that instead of going straight at uh, science, technology, uh, engineering, and math with some students, it's better to go with those subjects through music. Absolutely. Because you have to learn those things through music. Like if you want to DJ to even to beat match, you have to learn proportionality. You have to learn some algebra to know how to, you know, put bars over bars. Yeah. You have to know a proportion to know how you make a, you know, a 69 beats per minute match with a song, the 74 beats per minute. Uh, so it, it's interesting that you're you're taking that on. But I like to start at the beginning, as always. Absolutely. Uh, I, you know, how'd you get here? Uh, what you know, what part of the world were you born in? Where'd you come up? And and how did you uh, come onto the scene here in Los Angeles? So I was born in the Midwest, Ohio. Um, my mom was in college at the time, and she used to take me to concerts. I remember being a kid so small that I couldn't see over the seats in front mm -hmm, of me, but I was mm -hmm. at the stadium, so I would hear Earth, Wind & Fire or Isley Brothers. The bass would be nice. What's the first concert you remember? Either Earth, Wind & Fire or the Isley Brothers, uh, but okay. definitely yeah. like that yeah. soul R&B genre. Mm -hmm. I think I was around two years old. Mm -hmm. uh, and then right after she graduated college, we moved to Los Angeles. And so we landed in uh, right off of the 10 and Crenshaw in those apartments overlooking the 10 exit. Okay. Yep. And okay. then we moved to the jungle. Then we moved to Inglewood. Then I moved, uh, no, then from Inglewood to Compton, Compton to Gardena. And then for me, graduating from high school and back to Inglewood. And where'd you go to high school? I went to high school at a business magnet downtown. Oh, okay, downtown mm -hmm. business magnet. I yep. know it. DBM. Oh, wow. wow, wow. My, uh, so weird, uh, my next door neighbor in college uh, went to downtown business magnet, Trisha Captain. Um, Wait, I know Trisha. You know Trisha? Yeah. Wow. She was there the same. Well, she graduated. Yeah, we're about the same age. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe yeah. a year or two before yeah. me. Yeah. 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 That's she funny. went to Spelman. Uh, I think one of my high school um, 
colleagues went to Spelman too around that time, but I haven't talked to her since then. I see, so. I see, wow. I see. What I will, I will try to make the connection. I don't, I didn't know that you all uh, knew each other. Uh, so you said there were three things that influenced you: the Bible, uh, street, uh, Los Angeles street organizations, as well as music. Can you uh, fill that picture in for us? Absolutely. So again, moving here in the '80s uh, in Los Angeles, I always tell people that I grew up around the Bible gangs and music, right? And those are things that were in my environment and in, in a lot of ways shaped me. So um, the Bible comes into play where my mom was very protective about me going out and doing certain things. Mm -hmm. um, she definitely was into studying the Bible. I had a lot of questions about the Bible, which for me gave me a great moral compass. Um, but then also, whether it's Compton or Los Angeles or Inglewood, gangs were a part of the culture. and. I was exposed in a way where it was a lot of the gang members that weren't gang members yet, but were growing into that. And so I can kind of understand the plight of, let's say you and I are somewhere and someone does something to you and then you're like, I don't like that. I'm going to do something to them. Mm -hmm. Now at the time, I'm looking out for you. But when you have a group of people start doing that, then those that type of culture kind of with the influence of the gangs transition that new generation of gang culture. And of course, music was something that I loved. Um, I was, like I said, going to the concerts with my mom at age two, moved to Los Angeles, and then there's 1580 K-Day, there's 12.30 AM KGFJ, there's K-Ace, and yeah, all of those stations, yep, yeah, yeah. for me were like a heavy influence into me learning and falling in love more with music. I didn't know it was hip hop, I just knew wow, I like this music genre and they're doing this and I'm hearing this scratching on the radio, so. And did you grow up in the black church? Did you get, was that an avenue for music as well? Not really. Um, I grew up around, uh, in the context of, of religion and the Bible, just more studying the Bible and Got having it. questions. Like, how do we get here? Why does this happen? I was super inquisitive as a kid, which helped in my uh, love for music because it turned into something that was like, well, why does this happen? Oh, then why does this happen? And then from music, it went to business. Well, how does this work? So, yeah. So you talked about the intersection of the Bible, uh, of, of street organizations. There's the violence and all the potential trouble that comes from that. And, and I read that you said black music saved you. Absolutely. Uh, can you talk about that? In a lot of ways, it gave me something to look forward to because growing up, I realized that if you didn't play sports, there was not really much to do growing up, especially in South LA and Compton and Inglewood. Um, it's almost like when you get to the age when you're too old to go to Chuck E. Cheese, but not old enough to get into the club. Yeah. That's what I call the danger years. Yep. And so for people like me and other students too, people like you absorb what happens in your community. And if you have gaming colleagues, you're gonna get into gaming, you're gonna get into skateboarding, you're gonna get into BMX. But if you have peers who are doing other things, then naturally that's gonna be absorbed. Sure. Yeah. So for me, I realized that without those opportunities, music then became almost like that safe haven for me where I would be in the room practicing. Before I DJ my first party, I wanna say I practice every day for four years. Wow. after school, wow. starting in middle school. And when did you DJ your first party? 
I definitely was in high school, so I remember that. In fact, I remember DJ Muggs was in a group called 783 before Cypress Hill yeah. that came to my they high had school. An album. They had a record. Yep, yeah. I have yeah. that record, Coolin' oh, wow. and Cali. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So do I. Yeah. And so um, I saw Muggs perform at uh, at our school, and obviously I, I knew about DJ culture. I'd been hearing it on K Day, but I think one of my first public performances was in high school, which was weird because I was such a shy kid. It took so much for me to DJ in mm -hmm, front of people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And even fast forward 20 years, I'm in front of 17,000 people or 2,000 people on stage. And people will say, wow, you seem so comfortable in front of an audience. And they have no idea. Right, 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 so. right, right, right. Um, just more into the DJing rabbit hole. Um, when is the first time you got that uh, that feeling that, that all of us who spins where you know you drop a record and everybody like, puts their hand over their mouths and throws their head back and is like, I can't believe it. That like energy. That record. Yeah, 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 yeah. So here's another interesting part. For me as a kid, that reaction came in two parts. Mm -hmm. It's the reaction that you have on your own with the yeah, music, right? right, right, right where right, that right, song right. gives you goosebumps. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so I remember going to the Rhodium Swap Meet in the 80s and wow. buying records and bringing them home. And you know, you take the plastic off and you pull it out in that smell and putting it on the turntable. And so that is a feeling that I'll never forget, which is one of the reasons why I started a company called Mixmats, which does mm. custom slip mats, yes, yes. because of my affinity for the hip hop culture. But I would say when I started doing parties, it wasn't just one record, but it was the fact that there could be multiple records that made different audiences have that excitement. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. if I'm doing a wedding, it's Frankie Beverly and Mays. Mm -hmm. If I'm doing another party, it might be Onyx Slam. If I'm yeah. doing something in another community, it might be, you know, a Snoop record or something else. But just to see the power of music and its effect on people, mm -hmm. when it's like you love something and you have such a personal attachment that when you see other people love it too, it instantly creates a relationship, a yes. bond, where sometimes you won't even know anything else about a person other than they like Tribe, yeah. they like Wu-Tang. Mm -hmm. And so that's what my experience was in music. So you developed your, your DJing and your capacity to entertain at events uh, into a full-blown science. Um, yeah. And now you have academic beat labs where you're really teaching people how to turn their creativity uh, into something that they can make a living with. Uh, can you talk more about that? Absolutely. So with Music to the Ears and Academics Beat Lab, it's two parts of the organization. So Music to the Ears Foundation, music standing for musicians using their skills to inspire change, is the nonprofit part that we're trying to help get music programming back into schools. Academics Beat Lab, with the beat standing for business, entertainment, arts, and technology, then becomes the uh, post-secondary alternative and bridge for students that want to get into uh, creative careers. The reason why though that's so important to me is like I mentioned when I was growing up in the 80s listening to music I told my mom I wanted to be a DJ and she said nobody is gonna pay you to play that rap music. Mm -hmm. I wasn't thinking about getting paid to play rap music I just loved playing rap music and so even when I wanted to get my first pair of turntables she said um, I'm going to go in half, but I'm 12 years old. I said, so how do I get the rest of the money? Figure it out. That introduced me to being an entrepreneur mm -hmm. because the first goal of the entrepreneur, make it happen. Second goal, out, yeah. get the money. Mm -hmm. Third, do it again. And so again, as an as a early teen, that was my mindset. And so 
by the time it was time for me to graduate from high school, I wanted to pursue DJing as more than just a hobby. And my mom didn't support me. Uh, in fact, my decision to continue with DJing and purchasing my own Astro Van at the time, you'll remember those. Yeah. Yeah. You were serious. I had an Astro Van <laughs> with all those crates. And um, my mom told me she would co-sign and then changed her mind. When I got the car on my own, three weeks after I graduated high school, she said, oh, you think you're a big man? Then you can, you can leave. So three weeks after I graduated high school, I got kicked out of the house. And I had DJ equipment, an Astro Van, and a dream. And you would think that the story went down from there. And although it had its challenges, literally within three years, I purchased my first house and the house that I'm still in now, mm -hmm. my 25 year anniversary. And 2021 this year marks my 21 year anniversary since having a full-time job. So that context is important because at the time, growing up in LA, again, there was no career paths. Mm -hmm. We're in the music, media, and entertainment capital of the world, but there's no bridge for students to get into those careers. So what I thought was important for both music to the ears and academics is to create that bridge, to change the narrative, and to be able to communicate, whether it's with school districts or with other organizations, to speak from and say, look, I was that kid that started here, and now this is where we can take it. So Academics Beat Lab becomes that platform. So Academics Beat Lab and Music to Your Ears got a great headquarters here uh, in downtown Los Angeles. Yeah. You all opened up right before COVID and uh, yeah. now I guess are opening back up. What does somebody do if they want to get involved? So there's a couple of things that's happening. We have um, music education programs that we're working on within LAUSD. Actually, during COVID, I got my teaching credentials. Congrats. Uh, yeah, okay. from the state of California through CTE uh, and arts, media, entertainment, business and finance and sales and marketing. So we're working on implementing programs in schools. Then also we're working with the city uh, externally to develop programs. And then we have the online component. So someone can go to, if they want to get in touch with us, academics, spelled M-I-X, Beat Lab on Instagram or online music to the ears.org and then that'll have the next steps very nice very nice all right so uh, you and i share a love of hip-hop music hip-hop culture we kind of grew up in it uh you know los angeles crack cocaine error the gang error and the sort of soundtrack of that uh was really uh, west coast hip-hop uh, can you talk about the current state of hip-hop what you're hearing now if you're still hearing it i know a lot of a lot of our comrades have just kind of put it to the side a little bit yeah uh, what, what are you what are you thinking so there's an interesting thing happening with hip-hop first hip-hop is one of the few genres that have transitioned across generations mm -hmm. so think about like our parents they listen to soul and r&b and then we listen to hip-hop now you have our generation that listen to hip-hop and then the next generation that listens to what they call hip-hop and although a lot of it has changed you can see where the corporate influence has affected the messaging. But for me, I'm focused on the historical and business context and what we can do so that we can really bridge the gap. Mm -hmm. Because to me, like with hip hop, you have the younger generation saying, well, we don't respect the older generations. A lot of that comes from they see some of the older generations who did all of this work, right? Paving the way but didn't necessarily benefit from it. Yeah. Think of De La Soul, here it is 
35 plus years later, they're just getting their master's right, back. Right. And so I think a lot of the students, and, and I don't want to call them kids, but the younger generation, they look at what they can see. So they see money, they see fame, and that's important to him and to them. So I think that for me, hip hop has transitioned to where it's like, I still love the music. I want to teach the, the art of the elements of hip hop. Mm -hmm. I want to teach about the business context. And I want to almost build that uh, generational gap so that students, if you're coming into the music industry or interested in being a creative, you should definitely talk to the people who've done it before. So a couple questions uh, about uh, this time period that we're in in hip hop. So you talked about the role of the corporations uh, in softening, diluting some of the messaging that comes out, particularly the messaging that uh, is political in nature. Well, now we have an interesting dynamic where you actually don't have to go through the record companies to get your music out anymore. Yeah. So on the one hand, one might think, oh, that'll make the politics come out with more purity and, and more strength and, and less uh, dilution. Uh, on the other hand, it seems like we get a lot more music that isn't like that at all. Yeah, well, what you see is the music industry will fund the type of projects that it wants to support. And although a student may say, I don't need the record label, they look at their favorite stars who are on record labels, right, right. and then they start looking up more to the stars than necessarily the record label. When they look up to the stars, they see the record label as the conduit to reach the Where level of the stars. Right, right. Now, when you mention the political context, it's unfortunate because when we were growing up again, you had poor righteous teachers, you had Public Enemy, you had Ice Cube, you had Special Ed, you had all of these different people who talked about things representative in their community. Now, when you look at music, the messaging is consistent and it's consistent in a way that is detrimental mm -hmm. in a lot of ways to society. Mm -hmm. So I think that... Um, for me, I started studying neuro-linguistic programming and engrams, mm -hmm. and it really blew my mind to think about engrams being those micro deposits that happen on the brain that then when you connect them, determine how people react to future events. And the subtle programming that happens with the messaging through music, again, it's almost like when you make a deposit or you invest in something, then you see the return. So when you look at the investment from the music industry, they're investing in a message and then when you see the return, you have more killings with youths in Chicago and Los Angeles and all over the country. And I think it's important for us to, again, build context. For me, when I went to the Rhodium Swap Meet, I'll never forget in 88, I got De La Soul, Three Feet High and Rising, The Great Adventures of Slick Rick, and I wanted to get the NWA straight out of Compton. My mom saw that straight out of Compton album cover and said, no chance. And I was able to separate the art from real life. Now, the art becomes a basically like the definition of the culture, right? In a lot of ways, like what you identify with with music or with some of these subcultures are who you are as an individual. And so if we can teach students the contextual elements and teach them about the history, then hopefully it will show them there is another way that you can go. But again, at the end of the day, the record labels are working with the radio stations that are working with the uh, DSPs, right? The Spotify's and the um, titles and things of that sort. So I think it's important that we build a business pipeline. And once you build the business pipeline, 
then it will be able to support the creative freedom, almost right, like right. building the freeway so then the cars can drive yeah. back and forth. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. This um, iteration, the George Floyd protests, hip hop music didn't really respond. Yeah. Like there's no record that comes out of that moment in history yeah. the way there are all kinds of I mean there were entire albums that came out of 1992 yes from people all across the country not yeah. just in LA and this moment didn't really produce that so it, it kind of makes the point that you're describing yeah and you have a culture that looks up to a current generation generation in a lot of ways with Kendrick and what he's done for the community all right was almost like the unofficial anthem right mm -hmm. we're going to be all right and so a lot of people were looking to j cole and saying well why isn't j cole doing mm -hmm. this but i don't think it's fair to put the pressure on them as an individual versus let's look at the context of the people who are in positions to then fund these types of initiatives right. what are we lifting up yeah absolutely like when you think about hip-hop in general the hip-hop genre has generated more millionaires and billionaires than any other genre of music in history. Yeah. So when you think about our pioneers um, of hip-hop from Jay-Z to Nas to Queen Latifah to Will Smith to The Ludacris to Ice-T, Ice Cube, Puffy, yeah. all of those individuals have proved that you can transition from being a creative artist to a creative entrepreneur. And now... One of the things that I wanted to do, you know me from mobilizing people for a party, right? Mm -hmm. Now we need to mobilize people for, for a purpose. And looking at Los Angeles and all the people who live in this community, even Common, not from LA, but lived in LA. LL Cool J, not from LA, but lives in, in LA. LA. Uh, and these hip hop pioneers, I think if we could get them together in an organized way, we can have a huge impact. I think that's, that's huge. Um, can you talk to us? I want to switch gears here because uh, this is, you know, where there's always a lot of confusion and even being in it, there's so much overlap that sometimes I get confused about what's the difference between a DJ, uh, a producer, a performance DJ and a studio DJ and, and, and all those categories. Yeah. Well, the great thing about DJing is two things. First, to set it up contextually, you have the saying, jack of all trades, master of none right? That might apply to someone who is pursuing a trade. But when it comes to creativity, you don't have people who do just one thing. Using D-Nice as an example, D-Nice was obviously what we know him as a DJ, but then he was a producer. He rapped on self-destruction. Mm -hmm. He is a he photographer. Album, yeah. yeah, he's working on an album. And so Questlove, he's an author. He just produced the, the documentary. Um, obviously, he's a drummer and he's a DJ. So and an author. Yeah, and Five an author. Books deep, yeah. And so we can look to people like that now and appreciate, well, being a DJ literally can just become the entry point. And it can have different, like you said, iterations. You could be a club DJ, a mixtape DJ, a performance DJ. Um, you can DJ in a band. And when we bring students into academics, that's one of the things we start with. So obviously we teach whether it's podcasting, video production, um, coding and technology, we start everybody with music because we say music is where it's like the heartbeat to the soul. Yep. And we start with letting them know all people are made to a beat. And when the students look confused, I always say, put your hand over your heart. That's right. What is it doing? It's beating and it's beating to a rhythm. Start snapping. And then once students can identify, wow, music is, um, 
it's all around us, right? It affects all of our moods. And so to me, I don't wanna to get too stuck on they're not a DJ and they are a DJ. But what I do show our students is, let me show you what a DJ does so you can recognize mm -hmm. when someone isn't doing it. It's almost like counterfeit money. You don't need to show people about all the different types of counterfeit money. Show them what real money looks like so when they see something else, they can on their own question it. Wow. Um, most influential album in your life? Single album? I don't know that I could point to one album, but I could definitely point to 88 being the year of Rock Him, Paid That's in the Full. Golden year, yeah. Big Daddy Kane, Long Live the Kane, The De La Soul, uh, Three Feet High and Rising, The Slick Rick album, and The NWA. Yep. That's when I realized, not intentionally, I started memorizing all the lyrics. Yep. Again, getting back to Ice Cube, I remember all of Ice Cube's lyrics dating back from NWA to America's Most Wanted. But again, memorizing those lyrics didn't make me want to go out and live that life. And so, but yeah. But uh, yeah, Ice Cube was just a brilliant lyricist and yeah. he could paint pictures that you had seen before. Yeah. He could paint those pictures with words. Well, that I was seeing. I right, was there right. in the 92 riots when we were living in Compton and I'm driving back to our house and I get stopped by a National Guard who has an AK-47 who puts it in the tip of my uh, driver's seat window and says, roll down your window, where are you going? And I've been pulled over by the police not doing anything wrong. Mm -hmm. So again, it's like I was hearing about it, but then living through it at the same time. And in DJing, how'd you find your style? Who were, your, who were, who were some of the DJs that you looked at and said, you know, like for me, I saw Aladdin open for Ice Cube and I, my head exploded and yeah. I was like I gotta figure out how to do that for me it was the DJs that I was hearing on the radio because I was too young to go out mm -hmm. um, Aladdin of course funky song right mm -hmm. I'll never forget the routine from that Joe Cooley this is for the homies living in Compton it was mm -hmm. like that was a big record obviously there was the Battle Cats and on K-Day the Julio G's Tony G's Tony mm -hmm. A all those mixed masters and then of course Jazzy Jeff for me never traveling to Philly I knew the Jazzy Jeff Live in Union Square routine by heart as a, you know, teenager, early right. teenager. Yeah. Yeah. And so looking at those individuals, even today, I, I, I appreciate the fact that I get a chance to now work with some of my heroes. I did an event at NAMM, uh, after NAMM, that paid tribute to all the legendary DJs. So we had DJ Pooh. Egyptian Lover, wow. DJ Battlecat, wow. um, Joe Cooley, we had Arabian Prince, we had Tony G, I'm not Tony G, um, Hen G, uh, DJ Evil E, Chris the Glove. And so. And they all showed up? They were all there wow. on stage wow. at the same time. Not to mention we had Mark Love and Icy Ice. It was like, again, bridging that gap mm -hmm. of the culture because when you look about, like, look at when you're in school now. They teach you about Elvis. They teach you about Madonna. They teach you about Christopher Columbus. They're preserving that legacy. Well, why don't we preserve the legacy of our heroes? That's and right, so that's, right, that's, that's something right, I'm that's interested right, in that's doing. Right, that's right. And how'd you find your style? And how, what, how would you describe your, your uh, DJ style? My style became a combination of all of those things, right? Okay. So it was um, blending. It was getting into the turntable component. But then once you start doing parties, you have to make a decision. Who are you DJing for, yourself or for the crowd? Right, right, right. right and right, so right, right. the interesting thing is being a DJ then becomes more of like you're in the service business because you want to help people and you want to please people and make them feel good. So my style was 
I'm about to make people have the best time ever. Right, right, right. So now we're going to get into the unofficial segment called The Tables Are Turned. Yes, yes. Where I am going to play the host. And yeah. uh, in fact, I've had you on my show at KPFK. That's right, that's and right. And so we appreciate that. And now I get to uh, ask you questions. So first, I need to find out how do I need to address you for these questions? By your DJ name or as the councilman? I, you know, as the councilman is fine. Okay. Uh, I haven't uh, been on the tables in, in recently enough to deserve the DJ moniker. Okay, so we'll get to that later. So getting... Um, your role as a councilman and obviously your love of music. My question for you is, what came first? Was it music or politics? You know, politics came first um, because I was, you know, interested in politics and music as a kid. But I grew up around a bunch of people who were really, really good at music. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of the only one that was good or knew about or was interested in politics. So I really uh, took up that space. And then it was later in life that I uh, decided to formally uh, develop my DJ skills. So... How old were you or around what age were you when you realized that politics is something that you wanted to pursue as a career? You know, I was very young. Uh, I read about Martin Luther King in the third grade and I thought, oh, this seems like a cool do thing to do. I wonder, can you get a job in this? Yeah. And, you know, just kind of went from there. And I lived in a, uh, the kind of village where my parents and other folks put you in front of people that were involved in the things that you showed interest in as a child. And so I was able to meet Jesse Jackson. I was very, very young wow. when he was running for president and uh, and had access to all types of political folks uh, during uh, my youth. And so it became natural for me. So, you know, they say if you can't see it, you can't be it. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, my village made sure I saw it. Yeah. <laughs> so I felt like I could be it. You mentioned that you were into music early in the 80s, which obviously you had to be still in a school age where you showed interest in politics. Did your parents influence you or even discourage you from getting into the music? Not really. Um, I, like I said, I grew up in a very musical family, so a lot of my family members had a lot of talent. Mm -hmm. But it was, I, I will acknowledge now, I was a bit intimidated because people, you know, my brother is one of those folks who can just pick up an instrument and 30 minutes later, like he can play a song, mm -hmm. like, you know, he can just play, Oh, I'll, you know, I'll play that, that song. Yeah. And I, that didn't come naturally to me that way. So, uh, it was later in life that I, that I picked it up. And so my parents were encouraging and they're, you know, I actually have family members who made a living and make a living in, in, in music. Uh, but they were operating at a much higher, higher level. Yeah. But the good thing is loving music. You can still, like you said, even today is still something that affects you. My question would be, what connections could you draw from your love of music and how music is almost a service um, industry and then public service, which obviously is a service Well, industry. you know, the, the thing about music and for me, I think there's a bunch of things, but the things that stick out about music for me is, you know, music, a good song, even if it's an instrumental, is about telling a story. Mm -hmm. And public service and politics is all about telling a story. And telling a story that allows the listener or the user to connect, yeah, uh, to have an emotional connection, to have an intellectual connection, and to remember. So it's something that sticks with them, right? And yes. so that's that's how you judge. A, the, the same way you judge a good record, you say, oh, it has a good hook. Mm -hmm. That's the same way you judge a political slogan. Like, 
agree with it or disagree with it, nobody forgets defund the police. Yeah. Like that's, you know, that hits and that hits at the soul. Like you feel something when someone says defund the police and you feel it strongly. Like you, there's no being on the fence yeah. about, uh, about that. And that, and good music is that way as well. It grabs you, it puts it in your face and you got to deal with it one way or another. I love this record. I hate this record. I love this beat. Like I can't control my movement when I hear this beat. And that's yeah. really what you want to go for in, in public service and, and in politics. That's amazing. I literally in this moment just thought about when you talked about the hook and the soundtrack and the defund the police and what that represented. And for me, listening to NWA and their commentary on yep. the police yep. and everybody knew that commentary. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that's pretty interesting. So now then making the transition, you are in a position in political office and public service where now you have an understanding of music and culture that's unique. Um, how do you, what advice would you have to me as someone who's looking to bring hip hop music education events, initiatives to the community? What would be your advice as to how we can execute those things in this current era? Well, I think, you, you know, it's kind of like uh, you talked about DJing uh, earlier, like you got to decide who you're DJing for. Are you spinning for yourself or are you spinning for the audience? And so when you present music as, a, 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 as an avenue, who are you presenting to, right? Mm -hmm. Are you presenting to people, and I think this makes a big difference, are you presented to, presenting to people who have natural talent and natural ability or are you presenting to people who are average? Uh, like mm. I would describe myself as average. And so you, when you're average, you have to do the work to learn it. And it has to be brought to you in a simple enough form that you can digest and grab it, right? Got it. And then you can become better over time by practicing. Also, I think you want people um, sort of take music for granted and they don't often understand or it has to be explained to them what's happening when they listen to music. So here's what's happening in your brain. Here's what's happening in your body. Here's what happens to your heart. Mm -hmm. So, you know, your, your heart is keeping a beat all the time, but your heart is really one of the most material uh, aspects of the effect on, that music has on folks. Like a good song can make your heart beat faster or beat slower. Yeah. Uh, and so I think bringing it to people where they are in a form that they can digest is the, is the key. So if we were to talk about potential co collaborations and takeaways and just following that narrative of advice, how can creatives partner with whether it's city council, Los Angeles city, LA County, obviously without expecting you to answer all the, the narratives, sure. let's start with your council office. How are some ways that creatives can intersect with your council district? Well, the big way creatives can and should, and I encourage them to intersect with, with my office is through Destination Crenshaw. You played at the groundbreaking of Destination Crenshaw that we had there with Issa Rae and Terrace Martin and, you know, the Crenshaw High School marching band and about a thousand uh, community members. Sankofa Park is going to be a place where we want spoken word, we want music, we want visual art, uh, we want all of it. And we want to have it as a platform for black creatives in Southern California to come and show off, right? So we want this to be our outdoor Apollo theater. Uh, where where our best creativity is on display. So uh, tell me about Hip Hop Day LA. We did a big uh, uh, commemoration at City Hall. We made it an official uh, recognition by the city of Los Angeles, but I know you're one of the folks leading out in the Hip Hop Day uh, movement. Absolutely. And first of all, I wanna thank you and your entire team for helping make that possible. 
we started the conversation casually last year um, again not knowing how to intersect with mm -hmm. different offices i needed to find out well how does this work and what you know what is a proclamation and then what does it need to include but mm -hmm. hip-hop day la which is going to be recognized annually on august 11th is it coincides with the quote-unquote birth of hip-hop the widely recognized birth which was august 11th 1973. our goal is by the time we hit the 50-year anniversary in 2023 we want to have hip-hop music culture education initiatives we want to have it as part of the fabric of the community and not necessarily the underground so we're starting in los angeles um, i worked with a colleague who is from la but moved to portland OG1, DJ OG1, mm -hmm. he DJs for the Portland Trailblazers. So he started Hip Hop Day in Portland five years ago. And for me, I think it's important to acknowledge the pioneers. We mentioned the Battle Cats, the Julio G's, Tony G's, Tony A. All of those people that shaped our lives collectively. Mm -hmm. There are other people in the art industry and in poetry. And then there's the events, the good life, Project Bloat, Unity. I used to, as a young teenager, go to The Good Life on Crenshaw. And so I want Hip Hop Day to both be recognized as an annual celebration, but really be a year-round initiative to start building the community relations and implementing those events. Because as we know, if there isn't something for students to do, then they're going to get absorbed in the negative parts. Excellent. So we'll look forward to Hip Hop Day in LA, especially in 2023. I'm putting it out there. I think it ought to be at Sankofa Park uh, yeah. in the heart of uh, the Crenshaw District. And uh, we, you know, let's start planning now so we can really, really turn up. Absolutely. In fact, we have some initiatives that we're working on in Lemur Park right now that are going to start within the next 60 days. So I'll definitely be calling you. Very nice. We'll look out for it. So now we go to our lightning round really quick. Take a beat to think about the answer to the question. and Just blurt out whatever comes in your head. OK, so you ready? Yeah. All right. Here we go. Uh, question one. What's your favorite spot to DJ in? Um, for me? I've DJed all over, so I would have to say anywhere from the hood to Hollywood. And But one single event that stands out is when I did the 1997 Soul Train Awards after party the year um, Biggie, unfortunately, was murdered. Wow. Wow. At Peterson. You were at Peterson? You so just... I DJed the um, awards party at the House of Blues, uh -huh. and the Peterson was the next day, which was the year I met Puffy and DJ Clue. So, wow. Yeah, wow. Have some Big deal. Interesting experience. Your favorite uh, movie set in South L.A.? So... There is obviously the number one that would be Boys in the Hood, but then my close uh, alternatives would be Love and Basketball and, of course, The Wood. Nice. Favorite restaurant in South L.A.? If I'm in Inglewood, Doolin's. If I am in uh, Headed North, then it would be Simply Wholesome. Nice. Favorite South L.A. community event? So the Taste of Soul, because I DJed the inaugural year wow. of the Taste of Soul. I was wow. on V100. Uh, which was formerly 100.3 The Beat and 92.3 The Beat. And then I would have, uh, have to say the Destination Crenshaw groundbreaking event. Nice. Literally, that happened, what, less than two weeks before everything shut yeah, down. Yeah, that's right. A week and a half. We were yeah. February 29th, 2020. Um, what, is your, what is your, what we in uh, DJ land call your silver bullet? That one record that you can play no matter what the situation, no matter how, you know, uh, if there's a distraction... If the club is just, or the party's just dead, what's that one record that you can always go to? So depending on where I'm DJing, if I'm at a club, I'm gonna play something for the ladies. If I'm at a hip hop event, I might play something by Mob Deep. But 
I think regardless of where you're at, you can always play Frankie Beverly before I let go and yep. everybody's going to react. Yep, yep, yep. So. That, that song always gets them right. I appreciate it. Uh, props to Sketch for the uh, lightning round and a great conversation today on MHD Off the Record. Hip hop is one of the most dynamic expressions of black American culture. As we continue to acknowledge the role of hip hop culture with our, in our society, we must ensure that the people and the communities that drive this commodity have the opportunity to own the capital that they create. Through projects like Destination Crenshaw, we are creating more than just spaces to experience black culture. We are uplifting our community through economic development and job creation. We're creating beautiful community spaces where people can come together to heal, to create, and to fight for social change. This conversation has been great. Thank you for being a part of our experience sketch. Uh, props to Academic Speed Labs and to Music to the Ears. Uh, and to our audience, thank you for joining us. And we look forward to the next great conversation on MHD Off the Record.